Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزلنا علما وعملا صالحا Good to see people, mashallah I feel like we're in a little bit of a wind tunnel It's a little bit chilly right here But, you know Inshallah <coughs> may All of any discomfort that we feel May it be counted as reward for us And um you know, anytime we're, we're doing something to learn something about our religion, that's very, very good. You know, it's very, very good as a foundational concept. The, the Prophet ﷺ taught us that the person who The one who Allah wants good for them, they give them an understanding of the religion. And the Prophet ﷺ taught us that the person who goes and they... Um, when they go out and they study, then they're out fi sabilillah. They're out in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, a little bit of... Uh, may Allah reward us for any discomfort we feel, inshallah. And may He give us patience with uh, some of these things. There's a, great, there's a really great book for anyone who can read Arabic. It's called Safahat bin Sabra al-Ulama ala shada'il al-ilm al-tahseel by Shaykh Abdul Fatah Abu Ghudda, rahimahullah ta'ala. It's a really fantastic book. It's on the pages from the patience of the scholars in their efforts to seek knowledge. And it's like, it's many pages, like three to four hundred pages. Um, and it really like gives you some perspective, you know. Even I'm thinking what comes to mind right now is one of the, one of the shiuch that we had an opportunity to study with a little bit. He left his country to go to Egypt. He was from North Africa, generally like Northwest Africa. And he left his country to go study in Egypt and he was having all kinds of difficulties. He couldn't get registered, usual stuff. And eventually he ran out of money. <coughs> but he had intended to come and like study, you know, so he didn't want to, he didn't want to just give up. So he started um, selling watches. And like basically he was more or less homeless and he was selling watches in Hussein in like the area around Azhar, just trying to make like a few here and there to uh, continue his studies and then subhanallah literally someone showed up on his doorstep and gave him a bunch of money and was like I'm sorry, you know, I forget what the story was but somehow this person was like informed to go give money to him and he was leaving like he was actually on his way out to leave the country and the person showed up at his door with like a bunch of money and he was like okay alhamdulillah then I'll continue my studies and uh, mashallah, he's a very, very knowledgeable person. Um, so sometimes, you know, it's a little bit of difficulty. No pain, no gain, right? Say in America, no pain, no gain. You got to put in a little bit of work. And then it makes it, it, makes it different. Your, your relationship with it is different, right? And we want this, the reality of our human existence is that that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us in difficulty and toil and that's part of our experience and 
you know, when we have like a little bit of difficulty, not too much, just a little bit, then it's, it's, it can be good for us, inshallah. So chapter 3 is on building faith. We covered basically the introduction. <coughs> and then the second, the first chapter was on building an emotional relationship with the children. So we talked in, at length about how the Prophet them, one of his uh, main efforts in, in engaging with children was to build a relationship with them. It wasn't very um, instructional per se, like in a kind of classroom instructional kind of way. Like you do this, you do that sort of thing. But he lived with them, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he gave them advice like that. And as do, in doing so, um, it's more memorable. So we kind of mentioned last time this this story of one of the people who was young during the time of the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Someone came to him, asked him, "Did you meet the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam?" He said, "Yes, I met him." And then he paused and he said, "One time we were in Medina, me and some other young kids, and the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, was like eating with his companions." And he said salam to us, and he gave us some dates, and like that was the re- that was the interaction. That's what he remembered. So this idea of having that kind of emotional connection. One of the things that I used to always tell people, uh, and this applies, I think, across the board, is that the general rule is you should connect before you correct. The general rule is you should connect before you correct. So make sure you know the person, you've had some sort of interaction with them, they know who you are. And then there's a lot of conditions to be fulfilled, but it's just focusing on the emotional side that we should connect before we correct. Always our mind goes to extreme situations. And so someone in their mind's like, well, sometimes you don't have time to... Always, what's the rule? We've gone over this 20 times. Anyone remember the rule? What's the rule that helps you? Hmm? Hard cases? Anyone? Huh? Hard cases make bad law. Hard cases make bad law. So you have a general rule. You don't. When you have the general rule, you don't go and think of all the exceptions and throw away the rule. These are exceptions. It's exceptional situation. You, you have to have enough wisdom to understand. Like, okay, there's a time when you do, you follow the rule, and there's a time that's exceptional. So you don't like if you see someone like you go into the community space, and there's like a kid. You go and there's like a playground in the masjid, right? And you look in the playground. And you see one kid and he's like totally bullying another kid. He's like standing over him and saying, calling him names and like the kid's crying and stuff. You don't look at him and be like, well, I haven't connected yet with them. I need to connect with them before I correct them. No, that's an exceptional case. You go and you correct the situation and you deal with it. Right? So those are exceptions. And <coughs> even in the law, they always, we have a principle in Islamic law. It's called an-nadr la hukmala. An-nadr la hukmala. That the exception is not the rule. Basically, it doesn't have a rule in the sense that you apply the general rule to normal cases, and then when you have an exceptional case, you have an exception. So, connect before you correct is the general rule. <coughs> One of the things he says that's interesting here when he's talking about like dealing with children and helping them to develop their faith is that he kind of spends some time speaking to the parents, and to me, this is extremely, extremely important. That no one is going to teach a child like the child's parents. No one is going to teach the child like the child's parents. And anyone who has children, you know how challenging this is, right? Because sometimes, you know, like sometimes they say, if you want to know some of your weaknesses, then look at what your enemies say. 
right? So like, you know, they might exaggerate, but they're on to something. Like, it's your weakness, so they know what your weakness is, so you can try to improve on it. Um, and, and so when you look at your kids, sometimes you look at your kids and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was an issue in me as big as it is until I saw it in them. And I know where they got it from. They got it from me. That was, okay, that little thing right there, that's, I know that one. Like, that, that one's mine. And, you know, like, he's going to have to figure out, I had to figure out how to deal with that, he's going to have to figure out how to deal with that, she's going to have to figure out how to deal with that. Certain characteristics, certain tendencies, we have them, our kids take them from us. Because who is the, who is the one, especially in the earlier years, who has the most sohbah with the children? It's their parents. Right? The, one, the one who has the most companionship with the children is their parents. They spend the most time around them. And I mentioned before this hadith of the Prophet where he indicates that even the company of animals has an impact on the person. So he says that there's, he makes a comparison between the people who are the shepherds of goats and sheep versus the one who's the shepherd of camels. The shepherd of camels has like a strength and a uh, like authority to them. And the shepherd of sheep has a sakina to them. As like a softness, a tranquility to them. And actually one of our teachers, may Allah preserve him and give him a long life and help us to benefit from him. He said that one of the secrets of the Prophet them that he wasn't only a shepherd of sheep, he was a shepherd of sheep and goats at the same time. Just try that. You know, like you're going to watch sheep, that's one thing. You're going to watch goats, that's one thing. They have their own characteristics. You'd be a shepherd of sheep and goats at the same time. It's challenging. The candies are here. Whoever wants candies... Take candies. <coughs> so uh, the parents are going to influence the child. And if the parents are, you know, how they teach the child, how they guide the child, what they, but more importantly than that, what they do themselves. And I had posted one time this quote of Sheikh Hassan al Hindi, Hafidullah, one of the major scholars in Sham, is a, he's one of the senior Hanafi scholars. He said, Abna uh, Una. He said, our children, we advise them little and we make a lot of dua for them. We advise them little and we make a lot of dua for them. Why? Anyone, everyone's the same. What is the natural human response when you're always telling someone something? <laughs> what's, what's the natural human response? Someone's always telling you stuff. What do you do? You rebel or you check out. And sometimes I talk to, talk to like people in the Muslim community and I can tell. Like you came from a family where your parents are telling you a lot of stuff. You know how? Because you talk to them for like two minutes and they're gone. You can see it in their eyes. They're somewhere else. I'm like, where'd you go? <laughs> Once I ask them, I'm like, so, you know, how's it going? You know, like, was it fun over there? The place you went to? Like, what's... Because that's a natural response, right? If someone's lecturing you all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, you're just going to check out. You're going to figure out, that's your escape. And you have to live with your parents, if that's what your parents do. You have to live with them. So how are you going to do it? You can't say anything back. You can't do anything. You just have to sit there and learn how to check out for extended periods of time. Right? So he said, the Sheikh said, our children, we advise them little and we make dua for them a lot. Of course there's times and places when you advise and so on and so forth. But the point here is to recognize that the important thing is that the, the, the family member sets the example. I've seen this with some of our relatives. It's not like the example in the, in the lecture per se. Like I have a relative who 
this individual, I'll try to keep it general as possible. And I've mentioned this before. This individual is really serious about their job. Like the amount of sid, honesty and integrity that goes into their work is really incredible. You know, like I'm, I'm hired for this job. When I'm at work, I work. I don't do anything else. And I do my job to the fullest of my capacity, to the best that I possibly can. When I finish, I finish. When I'm not finished, I'm not finished. But this is, I have an amana in front of Allah. It's not about like the employer and stuff like that. It's I have a responsibility in front of Allah. I have to do it this way. Do you think that this person's children, that was something they saw, right? Like they saw that week in and week out, day in and day out from their parent. But this is how they understand their relationship with Allah, right? It's not a lecture like, listen, you have to know Allah is always with you. Okay, great. Alhamdulillah, that's true. Allah is always with you. But what it, they need to see that Allah is always with you. And they see that from their parent. They see the love for the Prophet them from your parent. So you don't have to really teach them that much about loving the Prophet because you love the Prophet And the, the Arab uh, method, the proverb, uh, there's different variations on it, but basically the idea is that <coughs> every container pours out what's in it. Right? Every container pours out what's in it. So what is in me? What am, what am I about? When I pour it out, then my children will see that. And it takes a lot of introspection. A lot of introspection. I always tell people that. You know, they're like, what should we do with our kids? And so I'm like, look, first of all, my kids are young. Go ask someone who did it. Go ask someone whose kids are like 15, 20, 25, 30. And they successfully raised really good children. Ask them what they did. Don't ask me. I'm like, you know, I'm not tried. In a sense, you know, and but the thing that I always come back to personally is I have to fix myself. I have to fix myself. If I don't fix myself, they're going to get it. It's contagious. It's like the ultimate, you know, lesson from COVID that nobody gets. It's, look at this COVID thing. It's invisible. You don't know when it's around, when it's not around. If you don't take necessary precautions and protection. Someone else has it, you don't even know that they have it, you end up with it. <laughs> right? This is the way education goes. Someone else has it, they're like a little bit arrogant. You don't realize they're arrogant, but you end up arrogant because you're with them all the time. They love dunya. They, 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 they pass it off as like, you know, we have to do this for the da'wah. We have to do this to make people interested in Islam. We have to do this to make it relevant. We have to do this so that people are... You know, they care and they, they have an example and so on. They, we have to do all of these things. No, you just love dunya. You just, you just love these things. And you want to be in charge and you want to be seen and you want to do this and this and this and this. But what is the person who's studying with them going to get? They're going to get all those things. And this is like, this, this is uh, extremely important. So what do we do with our children? We want to teach our children to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to believe in Allah. Not just lip service. You know? Like I have to really, I need to get myself right with Allah. If I get myself right with Allah, everything else will be fine. If you do that, then things will, um, will, will improve, inshallah, and things will be good. One of the things they say about the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Sayyidina Ali said this, radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa karamallahu He said that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when the person would see him the first time, they would fear him. There would be an awe of him, like a fear, awe, like haiba. There's, there's some awe of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then the one who got to know him, the Habbah. 
This is a beautiful description actually. They said when the person first saw the Prophet they'd be in awe of him. And then as they got to know him, got to know him, got to know him, they love him more and more and more and more and more. And this is actually part of what we should look for in teachers. We always come back to this conversation, right? Look for these things in people. Don't do it. You know, we, we used to do weird things. And I think young people still do weird things. Which is what? I want to look for someone who makes me, deep down inside, they make me feel good about myself. And I feel like I can connect to them a little bit. They're kind of like me. Okay, that's fine. Like, you want them to be relatable, like you in a sense. But if I'm looking for someone that I'm going to learn from, do I really want them to be like me? That's like something I want in a friend, right? <laughs> like maybe my friend is going to be like me. But if it's someone I want to learn from, I don't want them to be like me, actually. I want them to be what I would love to be. I want them to like, you know, someone said this to me about one of their teachers. He's like, these people nowadays, I don't understand. He's like, when we met Sheikh so-and-so, we weren't looking for him to be our friend. We were looking, we didn't want him to be our friend. Then we wouldn't respect him. We wanted him to be the Sheikh. And so we would go to him and we would learn from him and we'd spend time with him. And he made us better. He made us carry ourselves in a different way. He made us think in a different way. He made us engage with people in a different way. And so on and so forth. So the Prophet them. the description is really beautiful. They would see him, they'd be in awe. And this is the other thing. Like, but the awe doesn't like stop them from loving him. And they would increase in their love for him over time. One of the things that you see is this effort amongst the young companions <coughs> to, uh, amongst the companions in general, to try to get themselves to like the things that the Prophet liked. I want to like the things that the Prophet liked, even if I don't like them. Part of this is a concept that unfortunately in our community, it, it, we lost it because anyone who's old enough to remember the 90s and the, and the early 2000s, you remember what happened with this concept. This is the concept of al-wala' wal-bara'. Al-wala' wal-bara'. Al-wala' wal-bara' is a question of like, basically, whose set are you on? If you're to use very American terminology, whose set are you on, whose team are you on, which side are you on, right? And so this was employed in our community in an extremely um, divisive way, in a very negative way. It was basically like, a very extreme way, you know? Like someone uh, doesn't wear the right thing. You're like, well, which side are you on? Are you on the side of the believers? Are you on the side of the disbelievers, right? And you do like one mistake, and then all of a sudden you're with the disbelievers. You're not with the believers anymore. It's like a very kind of like uh, strange way that this was employed. But the concept is important as a general concept, which is like, who do I want to align myself with? And you see this in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in many different places, in many different ways. So you see, for example, that like uh, certain things are disliked in the Sunnah, like libas al-shuhra, wearing clothes that's like really draws attention to you. This is not as big a one. Certain things are were disliked in the time of the Prophet ﷺ because, Allah, uh, like uh, people of promiscuity used to do these things. So you're not supposed to do that. So like maybe there's certain things that you may be alright, but you look like people who do bad things. And you don't want to look like people who do bad things. Because you're a Muslim. And you want to look like the Prophet them. you want to do it. So this question of like, what do you do with the Prophet them? What do you do to look like him, to be like him? Is out of love for him. 
So like Enes, he says, for example, that he, it's, it says in the story that the, the Enes didn't really, um, he didn't really like gourd. You know gourd, like pumpkins and squash and stuff. He didn't really like gourd, but he knew the Prophet them liked gourd. So he would force himself to eat it. So he'd eat it out of love for the Prophet. It's a simple thing, right? But this, the idea here is developing this in the heart. Develop in the heart this love for the Prophet I want to be on his side. I want to be. I want to be on the way of the Prophet. I want to be on the way of the Prophet's family. I want to be on the way of the righteous people. Uh, or different narrations. But like, try to imitate the people of righteousness, even if you're not like them, because being similar to good people is success. Being similar to good people is success. And this isn't like a strange concept, right? Like, what do people in America do? <laughs> what do people do? They go and they see whatever their favorite celebrity is, their favorite entertainer is, and they want to be like them. So they dress like them, and they talk like them, and they do their hair like them, and they, you know, go the places that they go, and they like the things that they like. It's a very human thing, right? The question is, who am I going to do that with? Am I going to do it with people who don't really have, like, a track record of goodness? Maybe even they do. Maybe it's, like, a really good person. You know, I don't know. You want to be like someone or other. But who are we going to copy? So, and, and they knew the way of the Prophet They knew the way of the Prophet They knew his life. Even the young people, they knew his life. They knew details of his life. Like they say in one of the, one of the battles, um, <clears throat> in the Battle of Badr, <coughs> I mean, this is a little bit, hang with it for a second. There's one of the companions in the Battle of Badr, he's older. He starts to look around in the battle and he sees all these young companions. And he's like, man, how come I got all these kids with me? Like, I want some, I want some men with me on the battlefield, right? And these two kids, like 15, 16, one of them, they turn to him, they're like, uncle, do you know who Abu Jahan is? They're from Medina, they're not from Mecca, right? So there's no like way to look it up. You don't have like an image, there's no wanted poster. It's like, do you know who Abu Jahan is? He's like, why do you want to know who Abu Jahan is? He's like, I want to know because I heard that he was saying bad things about the prophets and and he's like yeah that's him over there and then another young kid comes to him he's like uncle do you know what Abu Jahan is <laughs> same question he's like why do you want to know same thing because I, basically I heard he was talking bad things about the prophets and Allah and Allah the, these are the two kids they went and killed him actually in the battle right but why, why did they know that? look they knew that this person was bad to the Prophet They had like some understanding of the details of his life. And when you read some of these narrations, you realize that this was passed down in the family. And this is why I'm emphasizing this point. This was passed down in the family. So like Ismail, the grandson of the companion Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, said, my father, who was named Muhammad, used to teach us the seerah of the Prophet So his father, his father's father was a Sahabi. So where do you think his father heard it from? From his father, right? He was with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's going to give him all of that information. He's going to teach that to his son. Then his son is going to teach it to his son. This is their like dinner table conversation. It's their around the campfire conversation, right? One of the one of the shiuch, we were in a camp with him one time. And um, it was really interesting. You know, we were in this camp and the, the sheikh was from Mauritania. <coughs> I've never seen someone so comfortable in a camp. You know, like he's 
Because that's his whole life. <laughs> like his whole life was in the desert in a camp. Like living in a tent in a camp. So we got into the campsite in a tent and he was like so comfortable, you know. And we're sitting there and he's like, he's like, you know, I noticed people here. And this is not like, don't imagine like an old man who's irrelevant and stuff. Actually, the sheikh is a specialist in politics. Siasa. And, uh, and he was relatively young at that time. He was wearing like dress clothes and very cleanly set up and stuff. And then you see him in the campsite, he's totally relaxed. And he's like, you know, I noticed when people in America, they want to have fun, they want to like take some leisure and stuff. They go to like amusement parks and they go to different things and everything. And he wasn't saying this in like a judgmental way. He was just saying, look at the difference in experience. He's like, when we were growing up, we would sit around the campfire, because that's every night, sit around the campfire. He's like, we would sit around the campfire and exchange notes from the books of Tafsir. Because all of them memorize the books of Tafsir, they memorize the books of Hadith. So they just sit around the campfire and they talk about it. That's their conversation, right? So he's learning, the grandson is learning this stuff from his father, he's learning it from his grandfather, because it's very natural in that way. One of the other shuikh from Mauritania, they asked him about history and like narrations, chains of narrations and stuff. They asked him, how did you learn all this stuff? He said, I learned all this stuff from my mother and my aunts. Because that was like what they would teach us when we were babies. We're walking around, they'd be like, you know, Omar ibn Khattab said this. Omar, he's ibn Khattab, ibn so-and-so, ibn so-and-so. I'd give them like ten, <laughs> ten things. They, they were related to this, they were related to that. These were their children, these were their relatives. And they learned that as children, right? So they, they, they learn all these things. So obviously we're not going to be like that, right? Like probably most of us are not going to be like that. But we can love the Prophet We can love the Prophet's family. Our children can see us sitting and saying, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Our children can see us wanting to like implement the sunnah in our life and that will be a benefit to them. The principle here that's really important is faqidu shay la yu'ti. said this also. It's a principle that we've repeated many times here. Faqidu shay la yu'ti. And this is why I think that one of the great trials of our community is the disconnect in the layers of, of, of people of knowledge. Okay? So you have like, you know, someone who graduated five years ago is not someone who graduated 20 years ago. Someone who studied for five years is not someone who studied for 15 years. Someone who has a lot of experience is not someone who doesn't have a lot of experience. It's very different, right? But you see oftentimes like imams and stuff who only uh, interact with their own tabaka, so to speak. They're only, only with their own level. This is a huge, huge problem. You have to be connected to people who are higher than you. Otherwise, you don't have anything to give. If you don't have anything to give, no matter how much you're trying to give, you don't have anything. If when you say it, the heart is not, again, you can only pour what you have. So, the person who doesn't have something, they can't give it. One of the things that he mentions here is that when we're telling stories to children, especially younger children, it's good to tell stories that have animals in them. Because children love animals, right? So he mentions the story of the Prophet ﷺ with the camel. That he, he went to this, he, he saw this camel and the camel was crying. The Prophet was able to communicate with animals. Uh, at, at least exceptionally, if not regularly, Allahu Alam. But he was able to communicate with this camel. The camel was crying and he went up to the camel and he put his hand on it. And it kind of calmed down. And they had like a little discourse. And then he went afterwards, he said, who's the owner of this camel? And a young man told him, I'm the owner of the camel. He said, don't you have any taqwa of Allah with your camel? It's telling me that you work it too hard and you don't feed it well. 
He understood so long why there was so much. But you tell this story to like a child, the child's going to remember the story. Because it's just like animals in it. You talk to them about the work, work ethic of the ant, the way that the bee was, so on and so forth. And then of course to do it in our own actions. <coughs> the Prophet them. He, he taught these things again in ways that stuck with the people. So the, one of the great hadith is this hadith of Abdullah bin Abbas where he says, uh, and again as a review, Abdullah was about 13 when the Prophet died. Okay? So he says that one time I was riding with the Prophet they're going somewhere, they're on the animal together. He's behind him. He says, Ya Ghulam. He says, Oh my boy, listen to me, I'm going to tell you some things. He says, That if you guard your relationship with Allah, Allah will take care of you. If you make dua, if you ask, ask of Allah. If you seek, seek from Allah. Know that if everyone was to come together to harm you, they wouldn't be able to harm you unless Allah willed for it to be so. And if everybody was to come together to benefit you, they wouldn't be able to benefit you unless Allah willed it to be so. He, teach him, he teaches them this what? On the back of the animal. Right? Not in like the class, you give the aqidah lesson, so on and so forth. It's fine. It's good to do that. It's good to learn in like a structured way and stuff. But if you really want to, uh, if it's going to stick with the person, you have an experience that goes along with it, right? Like the lesson that you learn in context, the lesson that you learn in some sort of situation, is a lesson that's going to stay. So this is how he would do it. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 515. Bismillah. <clears throat> One of the ways that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would teach the people to love the Qur'an was that they would live their life with the Qur'an. And this is, I think, it's, it's an interesting point that he mentions. There's two elements here. One is that he taught them, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how to love just the pure recitation of the Qur'an. And again, when you don't have something, you can't appreciate it. I'll tell you, when I was first learning how to read Arabic, and uh, I was trying to learn how to read Arabic, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. How, my basic learning of Arabic was that we lived in San Diego. I went to the bookstore in ISOC. Because back in the day, you have to go to the Muslim bookstore. Like... There's no other way to get books. You have to go to the Muslim bookstore and get books. So I went to ISOC. I used to love when we go to ISOC because there's a bookstore. So I go to ISOC and I find in ISOC this little book on how to teach yourself how to read Arabic. It was like a little book. And that's how I learned how to read Arabic. Right? I'm not saying, that, like, obviously it needed a lot of work afterwards. But, what, like, sometimes we make too many excuses. You know, a few years back we were with Imam Zaid, Hafizullah. And he asked if he was in SoCal, he asked if we could go to Jareer Bookstore. So we go to Jareer Bookstore, right? And he's walking around, he's looking at books and stuff. And there's this little pocket-sized copy of Al-Rahiq Al-Makhtoum, The Sealed Nectar. Some of the famous books on the life of the Prophet, right? This little pocket-sized book. You can carry it with you, open it and read about the Prophet. And he was just like, he, he was just, he was like, SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Like how, how is, there's no excuse. Like how can you, you don't have any excuse to not know the Prophet. Like look, you can keep it in your pocket and read it anywhere. You, online there's so much stuff. Like every subject you can possibly think of, at least at the basic level and even intermediate level, is there. Like anything you want to know, it, it's there. You have to put in, again we have to put in the work a little bit. But when we learn, if we don't know how to read the Quran, this is where I was getting at. 
when I was first learning how to read the Quran, I would go to some of the local imams and stuff. I asked them, who's the, who's the Qari I should listen to? Who's the Qari I should listen to? And everyone would say the same answer. And up to today, anyone who knows the Quran always gives me the same answer. Who do you think it is? Huh? Husuri. 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 Sheikh Mahmoud Khalil al Husuri. Rahimahullah. Everyone who's person like Qari of Quran, you ask them, who should I listen to? They tell you Husuri. It was Husuri read with like so much precision. It's remarkable. What do you think happened when I first tried to listen to Husuri? I didn't like it. <laughs> I'm like, Man, this is like really slow. It's very boring. I don't really like it. It doesn't have any like bells and whistles. It's a very simple recitation. But I would tell myself for years, I would tell myself, they know more than I know. There must be something about this recitation. I'm going to listen to this recitation. I'm going to listen to it, listen to it, listen to it, listen to it. All these years pass. Even still, it doesn't mean the same until we meet like uh, Sheikh Abdullah Hafizullah. And like you really learn how to recite the Quran. And you're like, subhanAllah, that's why you listen to Husuri. Even people who are like really good, you listen to them and you're like, ah, that's an issue actually right there. That thing wasn't actually right. But you go to Husuri and it's right. You're like, subhanAllah, it's amazing. So the point is, we have to know these things in order to benefit from them, in order to enjoy them. The Prophet taught his companions to enjoy listening to the Qur'an. And we saw that narration before in the Shema'il, where the Prophet goes to Ibn Mas'ud and he tells him, Iqra alayya. And he says, alayka wa alayka unzil. Like I should read, I should read the Quran to you when the Quran was revealed to you. And he said, I love to hear it from other than me. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud starts to recite the Quran. And he recites for it probably took like 15-20 minutes to recite the amount. If you check like check the narration and go listen to recordings and see. Because it tells you which verse he stopped at. 40 something in Surah Tibnisa. And it probably took like 15-20 minutes to read that. The Prophet is just sitting there listening. And he starts, and then he gets to the verse, he says, I looked up and the Prophet's face is covered in tears. He's been crying, he's listening to it, right? So he's showing them by example. He's not just telling them, you know, you should enjoy listening to the Qur'an. He enjoys listening to the Qur'an, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so they see that and they learn that from him. <clears throat> so this is one part of the Qur'an. The other part of the Qur'an is that they saw it happening in their lives. Right? Like something happens in their life, the verse is revealed. So it's very relevant to them. Obviously for us, there's a step removed there. It's not like I go to the grocery store and this incident takes place and then there's like a verse from the Quran <laughs> about you know, how you should deal with the cash cashier at the grocery store. It, didn't, it doesn't happen like that for us. But if we make the effort to understand like, okay, what was the backdrop of this situation? What was the backdrop of this experience? then that story will reflect things that happen in our lives. And then we can say, oh, okay, like these verses now are about that. We can start to live with the Qur'an. And in order to really benefit from the Qur'an, we have to live with the Qur'an. So they also did this. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Radiallahu wa ta'ala anhu. Uh, I'm going to try to wrap up. <clears throat> An example of this... <coughs> Shows like their engagement. Surah Al-Ma'un. Surah Al-Ma'un. The verse about prayer, what does it say? Al-Ladinahum uh, an salatihim sa'hun. Right? How would you translate this? 
Anyone? Even the people who don't speak Arabic. You know, you probably learned the basic surahs. I'm going to be hopeful. Huh? Forget the prayer. Okay, those who are forgetful about their prayer. Okay. Yeah, that's how you would normally understand it, right? It says, one of the companions, he came to his father and he said, aren't all of us forgetful in our prayers? And the father explained to him, he said, yeah, it says, an salatihim, not fi salatihim. It's <laughs> a very important distinction, right? It says, they're forgetful about their prayers, not they're forgetful in their prayers. Because everyone's forgetful in their prayers, right? But to be forgetful on their prayers is that they just leave the prayer entirely. But the point is, is that look at, they were like thinking about it. What does this mean? How do I understand it? It should be, like I want to try to, I don't want to be in that description. Right? Like I don't want to be in that description. So I need to understand, what does it mean? And they get worried like, oh my God, does this apply to me? I don't want to be in this. So they're thinking about it. Um... What are some ways that we can try to connect our children to the Qur'an? <coughs> or connect young people to the Qur'an? Connect ourselves to the Qur'an. Way number one is that we tell the stories of the Qur'an. And we know the stories of the Qur'an. Stories don't take a whole lot of interpretation. Okay? There's things that require it's like some scholarship. And there's things that don't really. The verse tells you to fear Allah. You just fear Allah. Verse tells you the story about someone who was arrogant and they didn't listen to the message. You just know that you shouldn't be arrogant and not listen to the message. It's pretty straightforward. Don't like make a ruling from it, but just take the general thing. From the stories, you can get that. And we have to always remind ourselves that if the story is mentioned in the Quran, there's a reason for that. I mean, you have all of human history to choose from. Why would you choose any? Why would Allah choose whatever particular stories He chose? Right. The reason is similar to what I was saying before. Which is that these are archetypical stories. They're stories that the pattern of it repeats itself. So you want to understand how do I deal with oppression? You look at the story of Musa You want to understand how do I deal with sickness and trial and tribulation? You look at the story of Sayyidina Ayyub You want to you want to understand this? You want to understand that? You take it you take it a step back. You can get the general picture. What what do I get from the story of Jesus? What do I get from the story of so and so so and so so and so? <coughs> okay, so to know the stories. Another one is to um, try to connect with specific surahs. Connect with specific surahs. Okay. So, for example, a lot of people, based on a hadith, will recite Surah Yasin for people when they die. If you do that often, you're going to have a special relationship with Surah Yasin, right? If you are accustomed to using Surah Al-Fatiha for the various many purposes that Surah Al-Fatiha can be used for. By the way, like if you're confused about what dua can I make, what thing can I say, so on and so forth, just use Surah Al-Fatiha. Surah Al-Fatiha can be used for almost anything. It's because it's the opener. You can use it for healing, you can use it for opening, you can use it for difficulty. Anything you're doing, you can read Surah Al-Fatiha and use it. So if, you get to, if you're in the habit of doing that, and Surah Al-Fatiha, you're going to have a special relationship with it, right? There's going to be a special relationship. When you interact with it, you're going to feel a certain way about it. Maybe you're in the habit of always reciting uh, Surah Al-Ikhlas at nighttime. It makes you feel, it makes you feel. And then related to this is to use the surahs that are for protection. Use them for protection. 
So if we're reciting to our children every single night, all of these surahs, then there's a relationship that's going to be connected with this, right? Um, our, our, some, our children, when they were small, they would call it protection songs. They don't understand what to call it, right? <laughs> You're going to sleep, uh, can, you, can you read the protection songs? Can you sing the protection songs? That's how they understood it, right? <clears throat> that's what they are. You're putting your armor on. We've talked about that before. Putting your armor on. Another way to connect with the Qur'an is to learn the du'as that are in the Qur'an. And again, to use them. So everything we need to have experience with it. This is the most important thing with religion. You have to have experience with it. This is not like a theoretical exercise. Just a philosophical thing, you know. Who can think the hardest and who can come up with the greatest ideas and stuff. It's like, how can the person really have a connection with that du'a? Really have a relationship with that surah, so on and so forth. So that's on the Qur'an. What about faith in general? Faith in general. Uh, one of them is to, of course, Sunday school answer. Ask anyone, why did Allah create us? What do they say? Hmm? To worship Him. I didn't create human beings in jinn except to worship Him. You know what Ibn Abbas said about the, the meaning of this? Always when we want to understand tafsir, you have to go to the meaning. People, sometimes we assume we understood the right thing. We don't always understand the right thing. Yes, it's true to worship them. But what did Ibn Abbas say? Ibn Abbas knows the Quran, right? He said, We didn't create the humans in the jinn except to know me. Except to know me. I didn't create them except to know me. So what is the what is the purpose of the worship actually? The purpose of the worship is to know God. This is how we get knowledge in Islam. You get knowledge by acting upon it. So there's a narration attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Hadith scholars would take issue with it, but the people of knowledge, they always quote it. <coughs> Which is that if the person acts upon the knowledge that they have, Allah will give them knowledge that they don't have. If they act on the knowledge they have, Allah will give them knowledge that they don't have. So what is the point of the knowledge? I act upon it. I do something about it. When I do something about it, then I get to know Allah. And we have to teach that to our children, that they, they can see that. Um, focus on love. Don't overdo the hell stuff, especially when they're young. Sometimes you need, the, you know, like uh, in America, common thing people say is, I put the fear of God in them. <laughs> First of all, it's a very strange. <laughs> if you really think about that one for a second, it's a little bit strange. It's like, how did you, like you scared the person, and then you say, I put the fear of God in them. It's a little bit of shirk in that. But like, you get the point. The point is like this fear of God type thing. Fear sometimes is necessary. It really is. You know, we want to do the whole like kumbaya thing. Sometimes you really need to fear a lot. Especially if you're like a teenager and your emotions are running all over the place and you have all kinds of ideas and you haven't really like figured out how to control yourself so well yet. And like certain things start feeling really good and you want to do certain things, you want certain attention and you're like one step leads to the next type thing. And at that moment, it's not like, oh, just I love Allah so much. And it's just, that's what's going to stop me. No, he's like, what's going to stop you is what Muhammad Ali said. He would keep matches. Allah, you keep matches. And if he's tempted to do things he shouldn't do, he would take out the match and light it and hold his hand over it. And be like, just remind yourself of the fire. The fire is real. Like, you know, the, even the hadith about the person who's uh, seduced to have a relationship with someone. 
and they say, Inni akhafullah. Say, Inni akhafullah. They say, I fear Allah. Sometimes at certain points, like you need, you need that fear. The fear is the motivating factor. Ideally, the motivating factor is just Allah. Not the fear, not the, not the reward, not the punishment, none of that. Just Allah. That's the ideal. But it doesn't always work that way. Right? Um, <coughs> another thing to focus on is gratitude. Gratitude. Focus on gratitude. These things that we have. Alhamdulillah, Allah gave us this, Allah gave us that. Uh, <coughs> not so much for guilt though. We do a lot of things for guilt. So we encourage gratitude in order to bring out the guilt. We do too much guilt tripping. So the whole the guilt tripping thing, we need to take it easy on. And it doesn't, again, it, it, it creates negative uh, feelings. And one of the biggest things that we can do is we get our children to love the Prophet and his family. Love the Prophet and the Prophet's family. This is probably the most tangible thing. Some people, they said that the, the greatest miracle of Islam for the Arabs is the Qur'an. And the greatest miracle of Islam for the non-Arabs is the Prophet Like really, it's much more tangible. Especially for a child, it's much more tangible. The idea of Allah is very abstract actually, right? Like we can come to certain understandings, can make different connections and stuff, but it's going to still be somewhat abstract. That's why it has to be lived in the whole getting to know Allah thing. We have to live the worship. That's how we get to know Allah because we have to taste it. There's an abstractness to it. But when it comes to the Prophet them, it's very clear. Like you can read about the Prophet them and just feel like, man, subhanAllah, you're so beautiful. And just feel that connection and feel that closeness. So we have to really emphasize that. And that's why, you know, like Muslim majority lands for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, always got together and sang songs praising the Prophet Unfortunately, in our, in our modern Muslim moment, there's been a jihad against dhikr uh, in the name of bid'ah. And like, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't, you can't sit together and remember Allah. Fine, if you want to take that position, that's fine. But the reality is that many people, many scholars, did not take that position. And the practice of the Muslims across the board is to do that. And I was thinking today, like, for the average Muslim, what was the average Muslim's engagement with Islam? Is it a lecture? Like, you guys, you might think you're average Muslims. You're not average Muslims. It's cold outside, and you're sitting here listening to a lecture on a Sunday night. You're not average. You're way above average. You're very special people. And I'll bless you and keep you safe and... and and give you good in this life and the next. You're very special. What, but what's that? What was? What is the average Muslim's engagement with Islam? Jummah. Eid. Eid on top. Jummah. Holidays. Right. Major holidays. Next week we'll talk about Isra and Mi'raj. Or is that supposed to be this week? No, next week. Inshallah, Isra and Mi'raj next week. And uh, holidays. Right. What's the other big thing? It's gatherings of dhikr. Gatherings of dhikr. Everyone would come. Because it's not like, oh, I'm pious, I'm this, I'm that, I'm whatever. Everyone would come to the gathering of dhikr. Person like just committed zina, they come and remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
they sell alcohol, they do this, they do that, they're, they're an addict, whatever. They'll come and they'll sing songs praising the Prophet asking for Allah's forgiveness, trying to be in that. They'll come to that. So that's easy. It's accessible. Yeah. Lecture is not really accessible. Lecture is a little bit hard. The other thing they would come is if you serve food. Every MSA knows that. You serve food, then people come. <coughs> but singing praises of the Prophet is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. One of the first programs we had at the Majlis was called Believing Together. We used to hold it twice a month. And we used to gather and we sing songs praising the Prophet them, and uh, have like a small lesson. And for a number of years now it's been stopped since we left the location. Inshallah it's starting, resuming this Thursday. So starting this Thursday, second and fourth Thursdays in the office, we'll meet for Believing Together. Inshallah anyone who wants to come. I think it's 7 p.m. Um, any questions, comments, anyone wants to bring up? We have a few minutes before we pray. Anyone wants to ask anything, comment on anything, disagree with anything? Yes. Uh, you mentioned a story of the Sahaba Abdullah, who was writing with the Prophet and he said, uh, give him that advice, that seek uh, protection, and guard your relationship with Allah. What was his name? The Sahabi? Abdullah bin Abbas. <coughs> it's in the 40 hadith of Anawi. <coughs> in the tens. I can't remember which one, but in the tens somewhere. If I'm not mistaken. Or maybe early 20s. I could be totally mistaken, but that's what I feel. But it's in the 40. I'm going to go back and be like, it's in the hadith. This <laughs> is like 40,000 hadith. <laughs> it's in the 40 hadith. I'm not sure where. Yeah. Anyone else have anything? Um, yeah. uh, can give us a little bit rooting on the, the principle of Prophet Shaila Where it's derived from? Where it's derived from? Where is it derived from? <coughs> um. Can you repeat the question? <coughs> yeah. The question was this statement of the one who doesn't have something cannot give it. Where does it come from? Like what is its what is its, what is its foundation? Um, sorry, we have to pay for food. She can't sign it. You guys can do the rest. Blank check. <laughs> Not on the Medjlis bank account. <laughs> well, no, I don't think so. Depends on the model, I suppose. Alhamdulillah, we have a little bit in the bank. Enough to get us to the end of Ramadan. But inshallah, Ramadan will go well. Don't forget to support the institutions that you love. Um, um, <coughs> I don't know, I can't think of anything in particular. But it seems like these kind of principles usually are they're drawn from a whole bunch of different sources. And from all of these sources, you can kind of like distill this principle. And I think that we can distill this principle from like a lot of things, you know. 
the idea of learning and, and worshiping Allah and being honest and being sincere and teaching what we know and not calling to things that we don't do and there's a lot of uh, a lot of that right but in the end like why is the prophet sallallahu sent the prophet sallallahu is i mean there's many reasons of course but part of why what part of what the prophet sallallahu is is that he is the receptacle of the quran in its pure absolutely pure perfect form he's the receptacle of the quran so anyone who's around the Prophet Sallallahu them, that's what's being poured into them. And some of them are taking 10%, some of them are taking 20%, some of them are taking 50%, so on and so forth. And this is what sometimes people of knowledge refer to as the, uh, the prophetic inheritance. Right? So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi is the one who has this, and he gives it to people. Some people have full inheritance from the Prophet Sallallahu Some people have different levels. And that's why I was saying when it comes to a teacher, you don't look for someone who's like, Maybe I have 10%. I'm not like, I'm going to find a teacher as 10%. If I find a teacher as 20%, I'm only going to get to 20%. I'm going to find, like, I'm trying to find people who are really going to take me to the next level. You know? How do you know that? So on and so forth. All the things we always say. All we can do is try our best. Try our best. The, the gold standard in the end is the Prophet them, And Allah gave us the great gift of preserving so much about the Prophet that we can know what we should be looking for. If we're really sincere, we're really honest, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us. Prophet he said, Saddidu wa qaribu wa abshiru. It's a very important hadith. Saddidu wa qaribu wa abshiru. He said, Try to take your mark, you know, aim as best as you can to hit the mark. Wa qaribu, which is like, and try to come as close as you possibly can. So you take aim properly. And then you try to come as close as you possibly can. Well, and have glad tidings. Well, you did it. That's what it is. I think it is. And and seek help from something from the morning and the evening. Like you make your morning prayers, you make your evening prayers, you make your du'a, you make your dhikr. Seek help from that. But just try to try to maintain your course and try to. It's related to another hadith about. Um, the beginning of the hadith is the, the religion is easy um, and nobody makes it more difficult this is my meaning translation nobody makes it more difficult than it needs to be except that they are overcome by it it's a very important hadith the religion is easy and nobody makes it more difficult than it needs to be except that they are overcome by it it, it actually breaks them and this is, you see it a lot people who come into Islam and they're like really passionate really zealous and they go really hard, and it breaks them. So they're not ready to do that yet. It's just step by step, step by step, step by step. Do your best, take your mark, do your best, and have good, glad tidings. And keep going step by step, you get stronger and stronger and stronger. You don't go to the gym and put all the weights on the bar and like lift everything on the first go. What happens if you do? They take you to the hospital. <laughs> it's the same thing with Islam. It's like... Uh, you know, person just started praying and it's like, I'm going to read this Quran every day, I'm going to pray every single night, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to do this. It's nefs, actually. You're able to do all of that. If you're able to do all of that, you're only able to do all of that because it's yourself. It's your base self. It's your ego. Because your actual soul hasn't been developed yet to be able to do that. It takes it takes training. So sometimes the ego, like, I used to be really good at going to the Masjid for Fajr. Really good, mashallah. It lasted about a year. And it's been 
18 years since then. <laughs> I try, try like, okay, this is this. I was like, okay, now can we get back there? Yes, but like, it was ego. It really was ego. I would get in the car and drive and look at everyone in the freeway and be like, look at all these people. They're not going to worship a lot. I'm going to worship a lot. Literally, I would be saying this to myself. It's complete ego, right? So sometimes we're able to do like tremendous things because of ego, not because it's like sincerity. Not because it's really for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So steps, 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 steps. That's how natural progression works. If the progression is not natural, it's either corrupt or it won't work. You know, it won't, it won't continue. Um, Allah wa'ala. Sallallahu wa sallam 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 wa